Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bazzaro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who wants to find us out there on Instagram, you can find me at Justin Bazzaro, or you can find us at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. And if you want to listen to us, which is the whole point of having a podcast, is which is probably what I should say first, is you can find us on uh, Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. Uh, with that being said, I back with us Julian Gavin of Valentine's Pizza from Brooklyn, New York. How are you doing today, Julian? Good. How you doing? Good. It's kind of a part two, but it's a part one of this one. So let's just hook right in from where we left off of the last episode so the audience can jump right into the next one from, well, it was released yesterday to them, but for you and I, we just jump right in the conversation. So mm-hmm. you... Before you got into the second Greenbergs that we discussed on the last episode uh, that you're opening up in Manhattan, because we'll touch upon it again more on this episode, you moved into a pizza place. Why did you already have the space? What was there before? Why pizza? I guess it makes sense. There's dough, dough, and there are different hours than a bagel shop, exactly, almost. Um, yeah, and, uh, and go ahead. Uh, same, again, same landlord. So um, once I opened a bagel shop, there was this nice Italian restaurant next to us. I think the owners were like straight from Italy and they also had opened, you know, they were a little before me, but like four or five months before the pandemic. And they had like, like an expensive, fancy sit down, like you had to be there restaurant. It could, it didn't translate to, to go food. Um, it wasn't pizza. It wasn't pizza. It was like nouveau Italian, but fancy little dishes. Like you had to be dining in their restaurant with a waiter, with a bottle of wine. Like it was like a whole dining experience that, like, that couldn't get packaged. Into a box. And then COVID hits and you, yeah, they've almost COVID. lit the explosion on their own life. They designed a concept that basically slit their own throat. Like, I don't know how else to put it, right? Yeah, I mean, they had no idea COVID was coming, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was not... It was yeah. not something that could pivot. Jeez. Yeah, um, uh, but anyway, it won. But go on. So, but with that being said, they built out a beautiful restaurant. They had beautiful tiles from Italy. They had these great wood shelves fitted on the brick wall and church pews lining the, the side. Um, so they had all this stuff in there. Um, so it already had a charm to it. And then when they um, left, my landlord, who I was already paying next door, said, take this space. So, again, I wasn't looking for a space. I wasn't looking to do a pizzeria, but an Italian restaurant ended up falling into my lap next door to the bagel store. And I couldn't say no, because all I really had to do was put in a marble counter and get a pizza oven and a mixer. And it was kind of good to go and put up a new sign and a new awning. And it was next door to the bagel shop, which allowed allowed me to get this huge outdoor space. Um, well, not to mention, you now can possibly get the same customer twice a day. Just because they ate a bagel in the morning doesn't mean they ain't going to eat pizza at night, you know? And we do. And, and we do. And and there's actually, in the day, there's two, hour, there's, yeah, two hours of overlap every day. Um, so there'll be people that'll come like on a Saturday and the line is so long at Greenbergs that they'll order at Greenbergs, but won't be able to get their Greenbergs for 20 minutes. And then they'll go next door and get a slice while they're waiting. Um, so that, that worked out great. And then I love this model. The dough corner is like more like the honey corner and, <laughs> and it's like, and, and all the people come there and it's just, it's because you're a good dude, you know, and there was trial and tribal tribulations for sure and they're almost meant they're there so we follow the right plan and we become who we're meant to be and do what we're meant to do Uh, i totally agree with that yeah and but i love this so continue on just because i think it's so fascinating and i just it's such the right way of being an entrepreneur is letting the opportunities that you're actually creating them by having discipline and consistency and doing the right thing in your business because that's why the landlord is trusting you but it's mm-hmm. also these opportunities are created, they're coming to you, even though you're actually creating them, which is, I just want to note that, you know, Julian's actually creating them by being a good dude, by paying his rent, by pivoting, by 
making sure the business does well by having a good relationship long term with the landlord and it's benefiting him and he wasn't looking for anything but he's always looking for opportunity so anyway go on uh julian yeah completely and and that extends to like also you know knowing your neighborhood and and treating treating the people that were there before you and and your immediate neighbors like right and making it feel like a home to them i think everyone on the block you know feels like they could just come in the pizzeria like it's their living room we all in the morning now we we got a um a la marzocco espresso machine so we have that so now i've actually opened up the pizzeria in the morning as a cafe which i never thought to do but since i don't have an inside at greenberg's i'm like all right i have this beautiful room that doesn't open till 1 p.m let me get the espresso machine put it on the counter and add matcha and then get croissants and pastries delivered and now, if you get a bagel at Greenberg's, you can go in the pizzeria, just get your coffee at the pizzeria, and then you're able to sit and eat your bagel inside in a restaurant. So they bo- really both work hand in hand. And then we always have the TV on. You know, in the morning, we'll have news or sports center. And, and then in the evening, we have old movies. And, you know, basically, whatever whoever's in there kind of can control the remote. Um but people will just come in and treat it like it's their living room and hang out in the morning in the cafe, then go home, come back, have pizza, have a bagel. It's really just a, a communal family vibe, and, and we like it that way. Like, you can come in, sit there all day on one coffee. Like, I really don't care. I just want an energy at all times in the room. And I agree with you, and we lose that. We try to turn tables and make money so much we don't focus on it's actually the energy that attracts people in the long run and the energy is the most important thing and I'm, I'm going to make a few points here the first point is um, that like education experience exposure energy exercise those are five important things to me in the ease of leadership I have like 18 ease but those are the five foundational ones and energy is important because without it there's not the success and without being able to turn on your energy and make it positive it doesn't matter how much you exercise or experience or exposure you have to the world or education it doesn't matter but when you get all aligned and um, we actually heard you say on the last one you know you don't eat as many bagels because you're trying to be healthier so you're starting to align what's exercise or lifestyle or a little bit healthier even though you have these places because you do have a son Um, and so that's one thing I want to anchor. The actual major thing I want to anchor is this, is customers or clients have such long-term value. we got to stop thinking of them as a single transaction or a few transactions because what Julian's doing here is he's creating long-term value and now he's capturing the customer into an entire experience, not just the bagel experience or the food. He's got the cafe and he's got the pastries that are delivered. He's not making the pastries. He didn't be like, oh my gosh, I got to be a pastry chef. He's like, no, I need to make coffee. There's other people that can make great pastries. I already make great bagels. I'm just going to compliment it. And then at night I turn it into a pizza place. The interesting thing is going to be is if then like Greenberg bagels turns into like a cupcake stand or something at night to offset the pizza shop when it's not open or whatever you do with that because I've got to imagine our crepes or something is rattling around in that head of yours because you don't like wasting square footage. So I'm not sure what it is, but maybe you've thought about it where when the pizza place is open or you go later for late night, but there's also late night dessert because Magnolia Bakery or stuff like that, they go lines around the corner even after COVID is weird. I, that's the one thing I still saw. Um, yeah, no, I, that, you, you hit on the head. I'm always our cookies. Way that I, can I don't know what it is. Longer. I don't um, Yeah. So I've tried a bunch of stuff. Um, and I, I've, and basically what, what I've seen work the best is like having other restaurants do pop-ups in the bagel store at night to kind of ping pong off the pizza. Um, so like, have like a taco concept come in like one Tuesday of the month or like a burger concept one Wednesday of the month and essentially just let them do it um, and just, you know, take a little rip or, uh, dude, you're like my long lost Russian Jewish brother, man. <laughs> I loved Russian history growing up, but dude, we're like two fucking peas in a pod. I can't even fucking tell you. Like You're just like, yeah, I don't want to do the work so i'm just gonna have other people come do their pop-ups other here. Do it. it's just the kitchen sitting there empty it makes me sad to look at like when i'm yeah. in and i go in it's like sterling you know sterling clean stainless steel 
and everything is just ready to be used because the bagel store cleaned it so well. I want to put someone in there. Um, so this I, is I do know this awesome. great baker in my neighborhood, um, and she uses it sometimes. Um, Gracie baked, uh, and then sometimes she does pickups in the pizzeria. So whatever drives more attention and traffic at the end of the day, even if I'm not making direct money off of it, I, I think it all circles back, you know, and helps the bigger picture. One, it's helping the community. Yeah, I agree with you in the bigger picture and the long-term goal of planting seeds in your community and positivity and what you put into the universe, you get out and laws of attraction. And we could go on forever of all exactly. the things that are proving what you're doing and you're living it. And there's all these things that education-wise are things that we know that if we actually practice, these things can happen. But, you know, Julian, you're a living example of this. So let's talk about pizza. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're like, I'm going to turn this Italian place into pizza. Do you offer more than just pizza? You talked about, like, the coffee and stuff in the morning and the pastries. But what about at night? Is it just pizza? Well, we have a soft serve machine. So we have soft serve. Um, We do a panna cotta dessert in a cup. We do a bunch of different variations, like we do, you know, calzones and chicken parm and stuff like that. We have a Caesar salad. We have garlic knots and zeppelis. But everything is basically dough, um, either sweet or savory, and different combinations of meat, sauce, and cheese. <laughs> so uh, zeppelis, are- that's like a Greek donut, which we have an Italian donut that I think is almost the same that I'm thinking of. Is that what it is? It's made from the pizza dough, and you fry it, but they're in balls, and you use, like, powdered sugar. Is that exactly, what it is? and cool. you just throw five in a bag, and they're delicious. It's like yes, <laughs> it's like a beignets almost, but different. It is. No, it's. I was just in New Orleans for uh, for New Year's, and yeah, it is a beignet, but just it's a different shape, a little bit. It's more of a like a ball, but then a perfect square. But yeah, it's like a cafe du monde beignet. <laughs> <laughs> I love this, and so. <laughs> Let's talk about, like, the style of pizza. Like, how did you come up with the dough? Like, how do you... I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of time on this stuff. How did you come up with the ideas, the different types of pizza? Did you like pizza before? Did you go around trying places? I mean, where did you come up with this concept? And then how... I mean, I know how you came up with the concept, but how did you then deliver on the pizza and deliver on the styles of pizza and i assume there's different sauces do you make all them from scratch i mean you have to do r&d a little bit even with the bagels so we didn't talk about in the last episode so what does it look like when you know julian goes into his mad lab his mad scientist lab and he's like in creation mode he's not he's working on his business and in his business simultaneously because that's when in food, when we're in this creative phase, it ha- it is both. We just got to market what we do, which is working on the business, and then go produce it, which is working in the business. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. What does this look like? How do you how do you get in your creative phases? How do you come up with stuff? Yeah, so with the pizza, um, because I was still so busy with the bagels, I took a completely different approach in the bagels, and I knew I wouldn't be the guy making the pizza every day. Because, you know, I was running the iced tea was also starting at the same time as the pizza. And that was very hands on for me because we were doing formulations for that and packaging and figuring out distribution and just a million different things with that. And that was like uh, a main focus at the time still is. Um, But so for the R&D phase, you know, I was I went and I started, you know, going to every pizzeria, finding chefs I like, bringing them in, um, you know, trying different doughs with them and figuring out what we liked about the dough, what we didn't, and just the way we wanted to cut the pizza, whether it was six slices or eight slices. You know, I had, I we had all these different, like, because we were basically doing a Neapolitan style, but blasting it out to 18 inches because I knew I wanted a big pie. Like, I did not want a small pie for $22. I wanted to do a big pie for 20 bucks. That's where we started. And uh, all your your classic toppings. And again, with the same approach as the bagels, not do anything bougie, just do the classic style, like the Joe's pizza, but just on some ingredients, just elevate them a little bit. Um, and that's what we did. And uh, So let's, which ingredients did you elevate for the pizza? Let's talk about that a little bit. Like which ones, if someone comes to your place, they're like, okay, this is a premium product. I mean, there's there's slices with roasted tomato on them. 
you know, um, with little cherry roasted tomatoes. They're beautiful. Um, broccoli rob and lemon and uh, breadcrumb. Um, the pepperoni are these nice cups, but they're not too thick. They're like a thin cup. So that was important to me. Um, I mean, San Marzano tomatoes, you know, everything, all of our peeled tomatoes are just, you know, top of the line and they sit on the shelf in the dining room. So you look at them and you sit under them and then we pull from those shelves and not just display. It's like that's actual storage space, but it actually looks beautiful. So um, using the best tomatoes and the best flour, central milling, um, a lot of people get a, a cheaper flour, but for us, we were, it was a no-brainer to get that flour. Um, and we went through a bunch of different doughs and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different pizza chefs. Uh, and uh, there was bumps in the road. There were good patches. There were slow patches. There still are all of the above. It's never like this. Valentine's is still coming into its own. It's not, it's not, uh, and it's like, like Greenberg's bed style is like, final form, smooth, it's like dialed in kind of perfectly, I would say. So we're still getting Valentine's to that point. It's not there yet. Um, but something where I get, where I really love it is I get to host and create these dinners and evenings and, and really like work the room, which is my original skill, which I don't get to do at the bagel store because the bagel store is a to-go business. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I love it, love it. So yeah, I got to to really like be present and you know just curating the music and the you know the dimness of the lights and just everything. It's uh, there's so many different factors that go into it. And then we also have besides coming in uh, a to-go window, and then the pizza display, the glass display box is in the window. So when you're walking with with lights over the pizza so when you're walking down the street there's a window open next to the door with all the pizzas displayed so you don't have to come in and have a nice sit-down dinner you can grab a slice and keep walking or you could come in get a bottle of wine watch a movie sit there get a pie get a caesar salad you know get all these things so you can you can treat it however you want it could be a quick slice shop or a nice sit-down dinner very cool so you've been doing this for a while and we'll i want to talk about the tease at the end because we're going to anchor it to a third episode we're going to do later on and record later on in the month but let's talk about the lessons you've learned as an entrepreneur right now and at this point you've built two restaurants where you haven't gotten the third one yet like and you're you've you're opening in the outdoor space like what are the major things that you know that are making you successful now that you didn't have before in the other two restaurants. If you reflect back, you have two restaurants now that are successful, mm -hmm. but and you and we talked about you had two that weren't successful. So you're like at a tie game, for lack of a better term. Financially, probably way better off because two always uh, well outdo the ones you fail because usually fail so quickly. It's big losses, but you can recover it when you have two businesses that are going well and. I would say success is not necessarily the money either, whether mm -hmm. you lose it or not. So talk, let's talk about that. What are, what are the differences? The differences between what exactly between. So what would you say that you have now or the businesses have now that have made you successful, like not only financially, but with customers and stuff that didn't make Regina's and um, the Vietnamese sandwich place successful before? I mean, I think it's really time. So if uh, if you can afford to keep a restaurant going and growing over time, every little aspect of it keeps getting dialed in and better and done more efficiently from the staff to the machinery, to the layout, to the operation. You know, you, you, you've got to get the doors open first and then you just got to start being able to sell stuff. And on that, at that beginning stage you're not looking at margins and you're not you just kind of like get people there buying stuff and then you know as time goes on you can slowly perfect every little leg of the business and it becomes this living organism that you can kind of just step out of 
and then push in certain directions and like let it go off track a little because it needs to work without you because you can't scale and be in all the places at one time and then push it back on course a little bit. But so like now I look at my job is like, because I started on the line, but now it's like my job is to kind of see the bigger picture, see little things that I can push and pull that will have bigger effects and time would be my answer. As long as you, if you're lucky enough to have a place open for a couple of years, you can really dial it in, but it can't happen overnight because you can't afford to make all these changes and, you know, you need cash flow to do certain things. And there's so many things that you need to be able to make them the important changes, but if you can stay in business, then the time allows you to do it. I agree with you. And, um, Julian, what would you say that like your personal core values, the, like your, the way you handle things, or maybe it's your family values that really drive you that have also given you success? I mean, I guess that's one. And then two, how does that translate into how you work with the employees or team members that you hire and how do you bring that to them? Well, I want everyone to love being there. Like, Everyone at the bagel store, I want them to love being at the bagel store, love their job. You know, no one really answers to me. No one, like, I don't tell people, like, when I was in the shop, obviously it was a little different. But now, like, as long as you come in, you do your job, you know, you do it well, you care about the place, and you and you see the big picture and help us grow because subsequently that's how everyone is part of that of that equation then we're really, you know, it's like a little family and um, fun holiday stuff together. You know, we've gone on staff trips. Um, we've done a bunch of fun stuff. And, uh, and, and you know, you feel it. You, you feel it with the staff isn't happy and, and it, it doesn't feel good. So that's not an option. I agree with you, and I think that the spirit of the business is so important in, in creating that spirit, which is also working a room not only for the customers or the clients, but also for the employees as well. And um, I think that's what you're doing here. So, where what's the future hold? Like, what what where do you want this to go? You've, you're opening a second bagel place, like are you just sort of do you have a vision in mind? I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the tea, but what about for the pizza shop? I mean, Greenberg's is going to a new location in Manhattan. What about the pizza place? Is it something you think is going to go beyond the location? Is it part of the expansion plan? No, I think actually the pizza is a one of one. And the Greenberg's is more of a, a small, you know, keep trying to turn out new spots. Um, but, you know, at my pace. Uh, I'm not going to just... You know, I'm not looking to just like go raise a bunch of money and pop out like five locations. I just want to slowly do it at my pace, uh, at my comfort level. And I have no idea where I'll be in 20 years. <laughs> I have no idea what I'll be doing. If it's maybe it's bagels, maybe it's not. Uh, I really don't know. So I just really take everything one day at a time. And with, with I always am looking at the next thing, like, like you're saying in that Tarzan way, almost as like security. Um, but you know, keep staying focused on what I'm doing, but always have an eye what's around me and other opportunities that may arise from doing this because everything has been connected and like a leap from something else I was doing up until this point. And I agree with you and see, being an entrepreneur, you're gambling all the time. It's why I actually don't gamble much. Like I go to I, casinos I, and stuff like that, but I can't do it because business is already such a risk for me that my risk tolerance for gambling is like, no, like I'm already on the edge all the time. Like I am definitely mm-hmm. the arrowhead cutting the flesh mm-hmm. and it's, um, and so I can't do it because like I literally all the risk, like it's not like I won't get on a roller coaster. It's not that type of risk, but the risk in the gambling sort of the same as the risk in business. 
and the the feeling and so I can't do both and so it's just one of those things if I'm going to risk money I'm going to do it in business not betting on myself not in a casino also so that's part number two and (laughs) and um but it's interesting the the dynamic of what you said which is um which is that you've always figured out how to make things work like you're you're very solution driven and things don't get in your way and here's the thing i like about this like when we when and in the gambling right but here's what happens when you start to expand or you like you're always looking for opportunities because you're worried you don't always want to be relying on one thing like you're like oh my gosh i work so hard i should just focus on that one thing and make it grow big well it's true but as an entrepreneur you're also knowing that you need to be doing a lot of different things you need to keep yourself creative you need to be doing different things outside of just the one business you need to be looking around for opportunities because it's important you never know when one thing might go back and complement the original and help mm. that grow or the relationships you meet or you have a bad deal and it hurts one of your businesses and you need the other ones to help keep it up or there's like something bad happens with tea leaves and he's still got the dough business okay so yeah flowers so these like are stocks you can't yeah you, you need a diversified portfolio you can't put all your money on apple like you got to spread it out a little if you want to be safe yeah exactly and so i love that you're doing this so talk to me about like how many hours are you working because now you have a new location you have the pizza place you have bagels you have a son at home and a wife like how do you manage all this now because you're hyper functioning at this point like you found your groove and you've been able to turn up the volume as i would say i love i love that um yeah i'm I'm trying to turn it up even more yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah me too me too always and people are like can you just turn it down i'm like no 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 just get (laughs) out of my way if you don't like the noise put on earplugs or just get out of the vicinity where you can't hear me anymore if it bothers you so, but it's, 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 uh, people that that don't think like that are, you know, I, they don't love being around it all the time. <laughs> no, they don't. And there was like a, what's you're so different. I'm like, I just have, it's just my volumes turned up all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, um, talk to me about the dynamic. How do you, you know, how are you chasing the stream? How do you keep turning up the volume? I guess, and then how do you balance it all with your family? Well, the bagels originally fit into my schedule perfectly because it was a morning business. Like, you're done, hands clean, 3 p.m., pick up the kid, boom, have a whole day ahead of you. So it fit in perfectly. So that was a nice thing about the actual bagel concept. That that was another reason that bagels were a nice jump from the sandwiches, which were more like 11 to 8 p.m., which was not an ideal situation for a family. Um but then, yeah, it's a constant juggle. Uh, I don't always get it right. And, uh, you know, you, you try and you try and balance it out. You know, the pizzeria is named after my son. His name is Valentine. So it's pretty cool when he gets to go to his kindergarten class and get 10 boxes of Valentine's pizza delivered. And everyone's like, oh, my God. Um, and so, you know. Yeah, I absolutely. Know. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that's like. That must be surreal. <laughs> And then it's like the next day, it's like, oh, wait, I'm going to get bagels delivered today. Yeah. Oh, and they're like, oh, my God. So that's fun for him. And we'll only get more fun as he grows, I think. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm setting them up to be basically, you know, family businesses. So as much or as little as he wants to be involved. Um, but, I, you know, I, I definitely take vacations. I went to New Orleans. You know, I like to get away and just. Like I said, let the ship be on its own. And like, if it steers off the path a little, that's totally fine. It's expected and that's healthy. And then come back and get it back on the right course and then go away and let it steer off and then come back and push it back on. Uh, Because that way I'm better at my job. If I can have time where I just clear my head and I'm not just like overworked. But then when I'm on vacation, I'm still, I'm just like still endless churning in the brain of other stuff. Um, but yeah, stepping away, you know, here and there is super important. 
Well, and I want to talk about this. One, it creates uncomfort for your employees because they have to run everything. So you're training them and they're getting it in small bite pieces and you're not just dumping it on them by having a heart attack or something like run the place, I'm dying. And yeah. so the other part of it is it, it's sharpening your skills mm-hmm. and your skills to keep everyone back on track. So if any there is a disaster, you're sharpening your skills for when things go off track all the time. And you want that to happen. It also helps you come up with creative new ideas because you're like, oh, I didn't see that before. Um, maybe we, there's an, an opportunity here, you know. Completely. So, and yeah, so I'm, so yeah, your skills get sharper from stepping away than having to come and figure it out. And then the staff, you know, that since they get put in positions where, you know, they are the decision maker and there's no one else. I'm like, oh, I'm in New Orleans. Like, you got to figure it out. You know, they always figure it out great and handle it and do stuff that maybe they had never done before or didn't know that they could do that they could do just fine. And it makes them more valuable to, to them, to, for themselves, for my business, for any of the future businesses that they work in or open themselves just adds another notch on their belt. And you mentioned, um, I love this energy because it's so important and it's so important that you have trust and you build trust in your relationships and you build trusting spirit into your business, businesses, the audience. Also, um, your parents, like they're not entrepreneurial. How have they been with like all of your entrepreneurial things? Because it's not their necessary cup of tea, right? It, they probably wouldn't have chosen it for you to be an entrepreneur. They would no. wanted you to take a more safer path and even probably worry about their grandson a little bit. <laughs> and so what does that look like? And, and how do you deal with that pressure? Because you and I are very similar in this way. And while I have entrepreneurial parents in some ways, my dad's like, very businessman my mom's very entrepreneurial um even still to this day though like you should go get a corporate job i'm like are you serious are we still doing this right now but it's um so i just from your perspective what does that look like how has that been is it that way yeah i mean there's definitely a a bunch of this you know not mistrust or there's a lot of like just not understanding each other's like I understand my mother's profession but I don't think she has a full grasp of mine she tries to but uh yeah for her it's definitely nerve-wracking you know being a doctor or something like that would be easier for her mind for me but um she's learned to appreciate it over the time she doesn't come to the spots much um which is pretty funny um but She's definitely proud of them at this point and low key like brags to her friends about it, which is nice. Uh, but it's definitely something she was totally unfamiliar with and she's had to learn to appreciate. And I think that was, you know, even my, my cousin, um, Hank Greenberg, uh, I actually never met him by the way, like he died in 1989, I think. Um, I'm not really sure, or 87. I'm not sure of the year he died, but he died before I got to meet him. But his parents hated that he was a professional baseball player. But he ended up being like, he's in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, you, you can't always, sometimes you got to just go for it and then, and then, you know, figure out how to explain it to your parents. <laughs> I, I can't explain it to anyone at this point. Like at this point, I'm so hyper functioning and I'm so entrepreneurial and I literally like, it's so weird to me that like, I can literally know where I'm going like five, 10 years from now and like literally break down the pieces to right now, right now and change the directory of my own life so rapidly. Um, also when an opportunity comes, like you're talking about, I can also pivot quickly to focus on that trajectory and then create a vision around it or integrate it into the dreams very quickly. And so one of the things that I think that happens that it's what makes it so understanding is because unless you go through it, unless you've been through the trial and tribulations and you actually have to function at such a high rate and you have to jump from accounting to marketing to, to production, to food ordering, to ingredients, to 
oh shit, HR. And, um, and then all of a sudden COVID happened. Like there is no one on God's green earth that would do that on purpose. That's why people can't believe you would do it because most people would have an anxiety attack. But there's a certain group of us humans as entrepreneurs, particularly in the food space, that have composure and have equanimity in the storm. I don't know how else to describe it. We chase it almost. It's like, we know how to do this. We're going to take care of it. We'll find solutions. And even if things go bad and it may look like we're getting our butt kicked or we got knocked down, believe me, because we got knocked down nine times, it's the 10th time that matters when I get up and I TKO the M- the motherfucker who knocked me out the other nine times. He may have knocked knocked me out, but I TKO'd him the 10th time and he didn't get back up because he got so used to winning. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's the mindset. And I, I played sports my whole life and it's just a very, that's the competitive, you know, winner mindset that is, you know, is what an entrepreneur, that's how an entrepreneur thinks. And that's like, every, you take everything personal and it's like, everything is like, you're, you're proving something and you have to win. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, like you're saying. And it doesn't matter if you have anxiety about current situations in your in your job. Because it's not like we don't get those anxieties. We just work through them and don't let them, you know, and use them as strength and, and prove ourselves, you know, wrong. If we're ever doubting ourselves, it's just one step after the next and having faith that, okay, I don't exactly know where this path is leading, but I'm going to just keep on going on it. <laughs> Well, and I'm right there, and this is, I want to explain this to the audience, and you hit the nail on the head. We are like athletes, and I am, I do identify myself as an athlete. I was born that way. It's just in my DNA, the way I live my lifestyle, the way I eat. Like, it's always Mm -hmm. just been that way for me. I run everywhere. I grew up on a farm, like, you know, just very independent, um, very team also oriented, though. And so one of the things that I think is important is that you talked about is we're sort of we stack skills and just like in sports we stack skills in business and as an entrepreneur and just like in sports we sometimes have to go back to the basics and we have to sometimes we get too comfortable and it's interesting to me because where I am in life and I'm going through a massive transition and going out on my own and solo entrepreneur and doing some other business ventures one's called Freedom Foods in Seattle with Mark Riggs um, who also does uh, fit tracks because I'm trying to go back into the massive food production space but do it from a freedom standpoint and really knock home the proteins that you're same thing that you're talking about I'm trying to make sure they stay at an upper level but I'm also trying to expose the world and Americans that we have so many other protein sources duck goose alligator bison elk these things are rich in stuff too so we're doing that but here's my point as I went through this transition And I also went through a relationship transition at the same time, which these things just always seem to tie together. One Mm -hmm. of the things I realize is when you're in business and you're successful for like 20 years, um, you you accidentally start attracting people that like the money. They don't actually like the energy or they think the energy is the money to you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the right core values in place and morals and ethics in your business and really instilling them, like because you're growing or you're so large or you're so focused on whatever's going on COVID or whatever other natural disaster or diversifying, you miss it, which I did Mm -hmm. um, until it was like four years ago, five years ago. But you, you then go, you're like, okay, what did I do wrong? Okay. I need to start over. We'll, we'll re reboot. What do I have? But I had to go back to the basics and it is what you talked about as an athlete and as an entrepreneur, I had to get rid of a lot of comfort in my life. My relationships changed. My businesses changed. My business partners changed. Like I'm very much like I train on my own now. I exercise on my own now. I work a lot on my own now. I do a lot of my own marketing and advertising. I don't rely on a lot of other people because they're just too slow for me. I just like, let's just get it done. Getting it done and out the door and learning quickly is better than waiting weeks to just to try to perfect something sorry and mm-hmm. so one of the things that it's i feel that and i feel that back to the basics and being an athlete and not being too comfortable is important even while you're in business but 
when you have to hit reset, I think it's important that you identify what are the things that made you a great entrepreneur. And it was those losses along the way. And it was that hunger because of it. And you need to anchor those feelings as an entrepreneur. I'm going to really talk about this. And you need to you know, Pavlov dog yourself with the ringing bell and instill it into your body and make it part of your who you are as a habit because you want to be able to pull those feelings, that hunger, that drive, even in the good times out of you. And you got to go into the environments or know what those environments are to trigger those things. Just like you can trigger bad things from bad things, you can trigger good things or you can trigger motivation or hunger by things also. And I think it's very complicated what I'm saying. It sounds a little hokey pokey, guys, but it's no different than I stick to the same routine before I go play the game because it pumps me up before the game or what boxers do is they actually don't pump their adrenaline until they tap each other's paws if they're really good and they have really good mentors beyond their coaches who are in the mental game and entrepreneurial minded like I am and and like um, Julian is here you eventually develop the mental game of everyone also and the mental game is you don't trigger and waste energy until it's time for you to do it you know, and right now, if I need to trigger my energy like I just did, I tap my chest like three times. If I really need to tap it, it gets in a fist. If I really, really need to tap it, it gets like I'm holding a heart in my hand and I'm lying hearted. And if I really, really want it, I combine all three of those. And on top of that, I'll snap my fingers three times. And so it's just like I anchor those things. And I didn't learn, I didn't come up with this on my own. Other people taught it to me. And it comes from sports, it comes from speaking, it comes from being an entrepreneur. Like you need to get through tough times, it comes from being a parent. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I like what you said about that and I think it's important. So did you play sports growing up? That was one going to be one of my questions. Yeah, I played baseball, basketball, soccer, everything my whole life and then I played baseball in college. So I mean, baseball was my life, you know, until, until I left college. Um, but yeah, I was starting shortstop leadoff hitter for my college team. And then when I left college and started DJing, you know, my whole life, it was like the baseball team, baseball, baseball, baseball. So I had to find other things that still fulfilled that, that, uh, I don't know, what is that nerve? Just like that competitive nerve. And like you said, like food really does. It's like you're in the kitchen with a team you're, you know, you're almost like when it's busy, it's like you versus the customers. It's like, yeah, and it's tangible. <laughs> you're making tangible items. It's like moving yeah. a ball to a goal or kicking a field goal or hitting the ball to a I home run. Bacon, you wrap this, throw it in the bag, I need a coffee. It's like yeah. everyone's working together. It's like a sport. Yeah. And it's that same energy. And you get that same rush. And when you're done with like a busy, you know, food rush after and you're all there together, it's like that same feeling is is playing a game with, with, with a team. So that's definitely what draws guys like me and you to it. Yeah, and I'm ultra competitive. Like, it's very rare. Like, I've only actually ever met one person that I've wanted to win just as much as I like winning. I wouldn't say I want them to win more than me because that's <laughs> just, just never going to be possible. But I would say maybe even more than me if it means that it's winning together. But it's like I want them to win big time. It's a weird feeling. But most of the time I'm like, I want everyone to win, but I still want to win more than everyone. There's still that whole thing and drive. And I almost want everyone to win so they keep pushing me harder and harder so I can keep winning more and more, greater and greater. And so that's also part of wanting everyone to win. You know? Yeah, like one of, one of my best friends who you should interview too because he's just like us, um, has his own tomato sauce company. Um, Love it. Monty's tomato sauce. He started at the same time that I started the iced tea during the pandemic. And um, now actually his product is on my distribution truck. But he's one of my best friends. He's a serial entrepreneur. He lives and breathes this stuff. And um, when I watch him do certain things, it motivates me to do things better. And it's like if I'm ever too comfortable then I look at him and he just did a big thing. Then I have to do a big thing to pass it. And then he has to do a big thing to pass me. And then after a year, we're like, whoa, we've both really grown. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with you. And even doing this podcast and being around all of you guys, it pushes me so hard. Like, I have to be careful because, like, 
I like go, I'm going to call it the real world because there's now the entrepreneur world to Justin and then there's the real world. The real world is like the it, the reality 3D world that I go out to and I get groceries and stuff and no one is even on my same energy level anymore. <laughs> and it's just cr- fucking crazy because no, I'm know, almost right. scared. <laughs> and I it's, know. it's just like once you live in this life and once you le- live this lifestyle, anyone can do it. Like I'm I'm not a smart dude. Like that's just that's yeah, not no, what happened. And so no, I wasn't I, gifted with something. And it was just like other than being an entrepreneur and a rebel and I freaking hate with people telling me what to do. It's that competitive nature that really separates us and and can get you far as an entrepreneur. It doesn't have to be brain power or smarts yeah. like you're saying. It's just like you're just you're not going to get kicked out. Period. <laughs> That's like the, that's the scariest type of person to be up against. You you're not gonna lose. Yeah, and I'm gonna anchor and I'm gonna anchor this for everyone. In 1998 is when food service partners started, and I was like going into college as I was doing. I broke my foot playing soccer, and that's why I started with my dad and a business partner out of the family basement, and then launched the kitchen in California, which started with the Kaiser Permanente hospitals, and so big win big deal next thing you know we're in 21 hospitals right off the back pulling old staff members from the catering um kitchens uh for the airlines and and going that route so very big very fast um but i was also then like okay i still need to go to school because i need to figure out business so i'm going to go to college i'm going to still try to play soccer which i had also been doing in europe um a lot as well at that time so I'm like I want to try to focus on soccer but yet I'm an, suddenly an entrepreneur business person learning business from my dad using the skills my mom taught me growing up about being an entrepreneur and mowing lawns and selling fruits and fruit stands and and mowing fields and all of those opportunities that they gave me and taught me um, to get to a point where um, once soccer ended after college was when I re- the business really turned on even though there was that big win all of a sudden, second location. Within two years, third location in New York. Within two years of that, fourth location. And so it's like when that, I didn't have anywhere to go with that competitive outlet. I had to keep going. And it even got so bad. Like once the financial crisis hit, we formed an equipment company, a culinary equipment company, and we built and designed restaurants. And then we had food trucks and built and designed them and owned them. And then we built and designed restaurants, so we also owned pieces of those. And then we got into fried chicken distribution uh, for the ingredients uh, for Broster and trucking that all over. And then we became a distribution company because we already had the trucks going to all the hospitals. And then we got into the farms and local distribution and... Uh, buying from the farm so it's just like like that competitive nature drove the business for years and I will tell you this as the main one that had that nature in the business even when we were like huge as a company and hundreds of employees hundreds of them the thing is is when I stopped being competitive for a little bit and I got a little bit focused on my personal life and a relationship and transition life which I didn't know I was doing, um, and I got less competitive. The business got less competitive because my spirit did. And and one of the things I did realize is if you don't drive that type of business mentality, I mean um, sports uh, mentality into your business and find individuals who have that same sports mentality that like the teamwork, that, that get rewarded for the wins, that feel the tangibility of working with a team, and you don't build that into your business over the long term, it's so bad. So even though I just said like as an entrepreneur, I hit reset and I'm like a boxer and now I'm running down the streets of Broadway in Nashville, like focused and super in shape and very focused with my mind and growing this business and growing these podcasts and Freedom Foods out there and and con- the consulting businesses I'm working on. It's um, the, pro- the other thing that I will say is what I'm really also hyper-focused on is building better relationships and better team members and as I rebuild the businesses is instilling the right type of humans in them not humans that I believe that I just need to believe in and if we keep instilling it they'll be leaders one day like I had this hopeless like almost romanticism of it sometimes and it really cost me and and because I believe because I believe in teamwork because I believe in driving but at the same time what I have to remember is even the Yankees trade players 
and the best players stay and the players that don't fit along with the best players that you're betting on don't stay. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. I'm sorry. The best players stay and the players that don't complement the best players or the playmakers or the ones who win big that carry the teams, they don't stay on the team. And so um, that being said, uh, Julian, thank you for all your time. We went on really long. Could you tell us where they can find you guys on social media, where all of your locations are, the name of your tea company? So we're look, everyone's looking for it when we drop part three or that episode. Um, and then just take us home. I, I dropped the mic on everyone a little bit with a big thing at the end. And I would just like you to just, if you want to share anything, you could give anything back tell the audience or future entrepreneurs what would it be so locations information where they can find you and then motivational speech home yeah well it was great speaking with you i love talking with other people that i can tell just have that same fire in them for just entrepreneurial business um so this has been a pleasure and uh the pizzeria and the bagel store uh both located in bedside brooklyn Valentine's Pizza and Greenberg's Bagels on Instagram. Um, the new Greenberg's is opening in the West Village, 34 Carmine Street. That's another thing I really pay close attention to with locations is the actual block and even the direction the traffic goes. And which, like, like I'm on Bedford and Bed-Stuy and Bedford leads to Manhattan. So it's a three-lane. So all the energy in New York City is going to Manhattan. So it's a good block to be on. If I was one block over going the other way, I'd be at the wrong, you know, in the wrong direction at the wrong time. It all plays a part. So Carmine Street, 34 Carmine and 1065 Bedford, both iconic blocks and and just very strong addresses. So that's important to me. But yeah, Bed-Stuy, West Village. And on the, the next episode we do together at some point this month, we can dive into the iced tea, which is Brooklyn Best. Uh, we're a low sugar peach tea, lemonade. Um, peach half and half, mango tea, mint tea, lemon tea, and a pink lemonade. Um, so I'm excited to talk about those, and it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Justin. Everyone listening in, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. Um, if you want delivery services, like we said and, and Julian said, DoorDash is one of the services that he talked about. Um, so that's one of the great services that are out there. Um, I recommend that anyone look at them. I just want to like, they do help your businesses. And I do agree that you should own your own customers and that can be part of your strategy. But I also agree that if you're going to anchor points in places like New York city that are high density, you want to have anchoring points, places like Denver that are very circular. You want to have anchoring points that you can hit five mile radiuses and because that's the way the delivery services like DoorDash does. And I mentioned DoorDash just because that's the one I'm most familiar with. I'm most familiar with how they work with the merchants, how they do their deliveries, how it is to be a dasher, so on and so forth. So that's just where I come from because I'm very curious about that world because as an entrepreneur and where I am back to the athlete point, that is what's changing the world right now. The delivery drivers and the delivery services are becoming the gatekeepers of the experience. And the best drivers are the ones who are going to deliver that experience for the merchants. And the worst drivers are going to ruin that experience. So it's becoming part of the business and how it's handled is very, very important. So I just want to leave everyone with that. And again, thank you, Julian. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening again. In and again, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. We're out. Peace, brother.